0: Hey there! Welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well.
1: The early church father, Augustine, is attributed to saying John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. I agree. The gospel of John is intricate, layered, and intentional, yet it's done so with simple words and easy metaphors. It can be simply enjoyed or it can be studied for decades. That's the the level of craftsmanship in this book. As we open the first page to this gospel, I, I feel it appropriate to remember the mindset that we cultivated in last week's lesson. As I said in our introductory lesson, this book was written to an audience locked in time. It was written to specific peoples who were in specific cultures. However, The value of this book is timeless and therefore beneficial for anyone alive today. We must be careful in how we read this. We need to remember the the original audiences, the historical and cultural context, also the timeless work of God's Spirit. Despite this being written to people who are no longer alive today, it has incredible value for us 2,000 years later. It's still serving its purpose. The main purpose of this book is stated in chapter 20. These things were written so that you may come to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This idea of belief and life is this book's thesis, and that is what is emphasized throughout this manuscript. Let's turn now to chapter 1, verse 1, and take our first step into this book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a a beautiful opening passage. In the beginning was the word, in him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, this, this can be simply read and enjoyed, and often that's how it's received. It's a beautiful image. It, it also, it kind of works like a staircase. We have the introduction of the Word. The Word is revealed to be a person. The person is said to have life, and the life is shown like light. And the light has not been overcome by darkness. It's a progression that builds up into a metaphor light and life and darkness. Now, outside of this structure, John's Hellenistic audience would have read this with all kinds of curiosity. John chose the word logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. In the Greek language, Korne Greek, logos could mean word. So in the beginning was the word logos. But culturally, logos was much more than that. It was used to describe something. Now, I, this is a huge oversimplification, but I, I thought it might be kind of helpful. So let's just use this as a comparison. Logos, for the Greek philosopher could maybe be equated to something like dark matter for our modern physicists. It was the stuff in between stuff. The idea was first offered by the Ephesian Heraclitus in the 6th century BC. Logos was equated to a a deep reason, reason with a capital R, reason of which all things are interrelated. I, I know, that's very very philosophical. It's pretty weird and kind of heavy. This idea was developed further by other Greek philosophers, mainly the Stoics, who defined the logos as an active, rational, and spiritual principle that permeated all reality. Again, it was the stuff within stuff. It was the stuff around stuff. Here, I, I have a quote to share. I got it from the, the editors of the Encyclopedia Bucanica. They called it, well, they being the Stoics, they called the Logos providence, nature, God, and the soul of the universe, which is composed of many seminal Logi that are contained in the universal Logos. Logi being the, the plural of, of Logos. So when John began his book by saying, in the beginning was the Logos, the Greek audience would have gone, yeah, totally. In the beginning was the Logos. That's, that's right. It's the soul of the universe. If it continued, the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. I think they would still agree. Yeah, yeah. The Logos is what permeates all of reality but when they get to verse 2, it says, he, he was in the beginning with God. He being the Logos. That would have stopped them. They would have disagreed. No, the Logos isn't a person. That's the entire point. Logos is a reason. Logos is the is, is word. It, it, it is what is produced. It is what comes out from, but is separate. Logos is what permeates all reality. It can't be a person. Meanwhile, for the Jewish audience who read the first verse, they would have been pulled in with agreement as well. In the beginning was the word. Logos, sure, because it was written in Greek. But the emphasis for them would have been with the idea of the word. For the Jewish mindset, the idea of the word was related to something very specific. Think of these verses from each section of the Tanakh. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. For the Hebrew The word was something very specific. Generally speaking, it it was the voice of God or the the activity of God. Specifically, it was the written word of God, the Torah, his law, or also sometimes called his wisdom. Among this Jewish idea of the word, it was believed in a certain sense that it pre-existed with God. The word of God was with God. The word of God came from God. It it was God. It was his his words. It was from his mind. It was was from him. So when the Jewish audience read John's opening statement, in the beginning was the word, they would have agreed too. Yeah, in the beginning was the word. That's, That's right. The word was with God. The word was God. They would still have agreed, yeah, the the word, his law, his wisdom, it it preexisted with him. But when they got to verse 2, it said, he, he was in the beginning with God, he being the word. That would have stopped them. They would have disagreed. No, the, the word isn't a person. The word is Wisdom. The word is the activity of God. The word is something that comes from God. It is of God. In a sense, it is God. But we don't personify that like wisdom. Wisdom was often personified in the the Hebrew imagination as a woman. Just look at Proverbs to see that. But, well, I was going to go there, but we'll stay on track. Both audiences, the, the Greeks and the Jews, would have disagreed with John at the same sentence you see what John did? John pulled them in with an initial statement that they all would have agreed with, but then he stoked their curiosity with something that didn't fit in any of their categories. The word can't be a person. Lagos can't be a person. John, what are, you, what are you trying to say? Who is this person? How can he be the word? How can he be the Lagos? That is the opening of John's gospel. That is how he pulled people into his book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We have the introduction of the Word. The Word is revealed to be a person. The person is said to have life. The life is shown like light, and the light has not been overcome by darkness. It's a progression that builds up into a metaphor, life, light, and darkness, the rest of this prologue, it works to support this opening declaration with a chiastic pattern. A chiasm is a poetic structure used in literature where, uh, I guess figuratively, figuratively you, you walk up a staircase and then you turn around and walk back down it. That's, that's the best way I can explain it without showing it to you. We, we have at the beginning, I'll, I'll walk through it, so just try to think, think of this in your mind's eye. Just put this in a mental picture. We have at the beginning the revelation of the word. Now think of the staircase. The next step up is a witness named John who, who bears witness to the light. Take another step. In the middle we have the Word becoming flesh. It's the, the incarnation. Now turn around on the staircase and step down again, and we have John's witness about the Word, but this time it's about his pre existence and preeminence. Then one more step, and it ends with the present revelation brought by the incarnated Word. John 1, verse 1 through 18, is a chiastic structure. If you have a Bible nearby, open it up and and take a look at it. The structure starts in verse 1, and it goes to verse 5. This is the, the revelation of the Word and His activity in creation. We just read that. Then the next step is verses 6 through 9. John's witness concerning the light. Verses 10 through 14 is the middle of the structure, the incarnation of the word. Verse 15 is, again, John's witness, but this time it's in regard to to the word's preeminence. And verses 16 through 18 is the the recent revelation of the word, who is then named. That's, That's the outline of John's prologue. In the beginning was the word. We've talked about this opening statement a little bit. Let's go to the the next verse, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This, this is the second step of the chiasm. We're introduced to a witness named John. Now, just to, to keep us from having any kind of confusion, this John that's referenced is a different person than the John who wrote this gospel. This, this witness John is also known as John the Baptist. That, that will be revealed in Next week's lesson, because it pops up in verse 19. We're not going to get that far today. John the Baptist was the the witness, the the man sent from God. He, He was the one, he says of himself, he was the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The next step of the chiasm is verses 10 through 14. Let's follow that. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Full of grace and truth. This is the emphasis of the chiasm. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then the Word became flesh. For the Greek and Jewish readers reading this or or just listening to it, this was a profound statement. The Logos, the Word, somehow managed to take on a human body. He was contained in a fleshly bodysuit. He became a man. But he didn't stop being the Word when he did this. The Word became a man. Why would he do that? Why would he do such a thing? How is that even possible? There wasn't a single category that could capture This profound statement. Verse 15. Again, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, we know this. Technically, the word entered the world in his human body six months after John the Baptist was born. But despite that, John here says, he who comes after me, who was born after me, ranks before me because he was before me. Because in the beginning was the word. This word incarnate pre-existed with God the Father. The word didn't stop existing when he became a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I'll, I'll note here that the word dwelt in, in Greek here Meant to live in a tent. So you could say, especially for the for the Hebrew hearing this, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, God would tabernacle with his people as they wandered in the wilderness. They had this, this big tent that they would set up. They had this nice courtyard. It was kind of it was pretty much glamping. But that was how they would interact with God. God would go inside that big tent. So for the Hebrew, this this phrase, dwelling, living in a tent, that, that that had a lot of meaning for them. Let's look at verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the big reveal. Remember the emphasis that John gave in in the middle of all this. The word became flesh. John is saying that the Jesus of Nazareth who was born six months after John the Baptist, is not only God, but the Messiah, the promised person of the Old Testament, or Christ in in Greek. This was a crazy claim for John's audience. But John spends the rest of his book explaining why he's convinced of it. The, The thesis of his book is that you may come to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is what we'll see over and over and over again. And they believed. And she believed. And they saw what Jesus had done. And they believed. Throughout this whole book, that is the main emphasis. For the Greeks and Hebrews who listened to this book, they would have been uh, probably intrigued, challenged, but most importantly, directly addressed. John wrote this book so that they might be saved. That is why it has intrinsic value for us today, because it is still serving that purpose. People come to this book now and it is still able to lead them to the Lord. As Jesus followers studying this book, we can be encouraged, we can be built up in it, and equipped with it so that we can take it to others. Something that is so encouraging to me is is watching how John interacted with his audience. He took something that they were very familiar with and he worked with that in order to present the gospel to them. The word became flesh. God entered this world in a human body with grace upon grace so that we might become children of God. That's the gospel. And that, in a little nutshell, is how John crafted a beautiful prologue to present the opening of that declaration.
0: Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable__ministries And visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.